Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Acts 17 verses 1 to 15. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were more of noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a many number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Thanks, Nick. G'day, everyone. It's nice to see you. If you don't know who I am, I think oh, maybe, maybe not everyone does. I'm Simon, uh, lead pastor here at City Light North Adelaide. It's nice to see you. I'm glad you're a little bit away. I forgot to put on deodorant today, so that, that could be a problem a bit later on if I get a bit too worked up. Um, but it's also really nice to see you on a long weekend. Um, most Adelaideans are down at Victor Harbour or on the York Peninsula, so well done for, you know, like hanging tough in Adelaide um, for this weekend. Um, it's really nice to see your faces. We are in the book of Acts still. Uh, we're making our way from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth following the, the gospel as it works its way to the ends of the earth. It's been a really exciting ride. Uh, I think tonight's going to be a bit of fun as well as we keep following it along. Um, please do keep that part of the Bible open, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through to 15, either in the Bible in front of you if you've got a real one or on your device. That would be great to uh, check what I'm saying is um, on, the, on the money. So that'd be good. Let's pray and uh, ask God to speak to us tonight. Thanks, God, for uh, your love for us that never ends. And Lord, we just thank you and praise you for your love for us that expressed itself in you uh, sending your son into the world, uh, Father Jesus, fully God, fully man, uh, in order to reconcile sinners to yourself. Uh, Father, we thank you that you are the God who is not silent. You've spoken to us through your scriptures. Uh, you've spoken to us through your son, Jesus. We pray, therefore, tonight that as we Think about your word together as your people, um, people in this place tonight, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. Uh, Father, um, yeah, Father, nourish us, Father, our minds, our hearts, our souls, even our bones, we pray tonight, that we would leave here confident, not in ourselves, but in the Lord Jesus. Uh, so, Father, speak to us by your word, through your spirit, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 17, and uh, if you were here last week, we began in, we were in Acts chapter 16, where we actually sort of set sail or jumped on a chariot or jumped on a horse, I don't know, whatever Paul did back in the first century, and started on this first European missionary journey, uh, as the gospel for the first time went to the continent that is known now as Europe. 
Um, and we were in Philippi last week, and we, we, um, we saw and we, we see tonight even that as the gospel goes into Europe, um, lives are transformed. Uh, as the good news of Jesus is proclaimed by, by Paul and others and ordinary men and women, lives are changed forever. Um, really exciting. Um, it was amazing last week to start this journey. Um, lives changed, churches planted, um, and it had a significant impact, not just in the first century, but for years and years and years and years and years to come. Um, local impact as local churches got planted and established. Um, global impact as the gospel kind of set sail from various parts of Europe and even landed here in Australia. But in more recent years, I think there's a slide that kind of highlights this. There's first century Europe. Here's 21st century Adelaide down the bottom. And you can't, I don't know if you can make out the map of the world vaguely behind it. But um, in more recent years, right, there, you know, we're first century Europe, you know, gospels on fire, changing lives, changing the whole world in many ways. And yet in more recent years, the gospel is actually retreating in Europe in significant ways. Um, I've got a few friends who have served or are serving as missionaries in various parts of Europe. Um, Some have gone from Sydney to Florence in Italy. I mean, what a great place to go to be a missionary. You know, pizza and pasta and probably not great coffee, but anyway, you know, but wow, like what a fantastic place to go. And you're kind of like, why are you going to Europe? Why are you going to Florence and Italy? Because they don't know about Jesus there, but they used to. Um, you know, and I've had friends who are currently missionaries in France, or France, if you're in Adelaide, and, uh, and, and again, you go, why are you going to France? Why are you going to France? For the, for the croissants, for the, you know, I don't know, because people don't know Jesus there anymore. Um, it's amazing, right? You know, first century Europe, people getting saved, the gospel, Europe itself, impacting the world locally, globally, for the good and the name of God, and yet today the gospel is... Retreating. I'm told, right, that now 17 countries in Europe have less than 1% of their population as Bible-believing Christians. 17 countries. And France, right, or France, France has big population, hardly any Christians anymore. It's incredible, right? Um, I'm told when you, you know, Operation World, who knows Operation World? Um, great book. Um, you can, I mean, Mark's been spruiking an app which you can get, um, which basically Operation World highlights countries or people groups and, and sort of describes what's the impact of the gospel, what's the, the country looking like now in terms of population, uh, GDP, and also religious kind of affiliation. And then it kind of writes briefly to some extent some of the, the challenges that are in that country politically, religiously, spiritually, and also then points to how we can be praying for those countries. France, if you read about France in Operation World, get this right, there are more people in France earning a living from practising occult, underworld, dark magic, than there are practising medical doctors in France. More people making a living from practising occult than there are from medical doctors earning a living from doctoring. Incredible, right? That's just the change we've seen over the years. And it's throughout Europe, right? All these countries impacted by this retreat of the gospel. So what was once this kind of on fire continent for the Lord Jesus is now a mission field, needing missionaries to go to Europe from Australia, from all parts of the world. And it's probably similar here in Australia as well. I reckon probably 90% of people in Adelaide don't go to church regularly anymore. Probably about that same number of people living in Adelaide in Australia probably don't really even know the basics of the gospel or the Christian faith. Australia's a mission field. Although probably once, more people probably trusted in the Lord Jesus historically. Um, I'm told we're going to hear more about that next week uh, when Mark Ballas gets up to preach. But hey, isn't it going to be great? Listen to Mark. Come back for that. Heaps better than me. I'm like B grade. He's like A. But anyway, let's, um, let's get into the word. I'm saying all this because it's kind of setting us up to think now about this Missionary journey, gospel going into Europe, Acts chapter 17. Um, with all this in mind, the great task of re-evangelising Europe, re-evangelising Australia with the old, old story, the good news of Jesus Christ. What can we learn, right? Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 15. What can we learn from Paul, You know, his first endeavours into Europe? What can we learn from that? What can we learn from Paul's method, his message, And then what can we see from the response of the people? That's really the three points we're looking at tonight. What was Paul's method? What's Paul's message? What are the responses? 
Got that? If you're a note taker, kind of, you know, spec out, face out your page along those kinds of lines. So method, message, response. So firstly, Paul's message, uh, Paul's method, really simple method, right? Really simple. You can sum it up with one word, preaching. That's his method, preaching. The story of the book of Acts is a story of preaching. The Lord Jesus Christ, just before he ascends into heaven, sends out his disciples uh, to take the good news from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Europe was kind of like the ends of the earth in the first century. And the book of Acts is a story that tells us of the early Christians spreading out. And as they go out, they've got a message to share, a message that they preached with the power of the Holy Spirit. The early parts of Acts, you know, Peter's the dominant figure and he's the one that's preaching a whole lot. Later, Paul becomes the dominant figure. But Peter and Paul, they're not the only ones who are preaching. It's the ordinary men and women who've been saved by Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit who are preaching all over the place. Last week, right, Paul's preaching in the city of Philippi. He didn't plan to go to mainland Europe. He didn't really want to go to mainland Europe, we found out. Um, He was in Turkey, but we read, if you've got your Bible open, chapter 16, verse 6, flick back however you need to go. Verse 6, chapter 16, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to preach in Asia, but the Holy Spirit stopped him. Then he gets this vision of this man from Macedonia, a man from Europe, who's kind of beckoning him, summoning him, come to Europe, come to Europe, preach the good news in Europe. And so he goes to Philippi. Once he arrives, what does Paul do? Well, he tries to find a gathering. Paul's habit, right, is that the first thing he does when he, gets, when he gets to a new city, he goes to the synagogue. He tries to find Jewish people because he wants to tell them, hey, guess what, guys? You know the Messiah you've been waiting for for years and years and years? He's come. Jesus has come. He goes to Philippi, can't find enough Jews, so what does he do? He goes to the River Torrens. No, he goes to the Torrent, or not the Torrens, he goes to a river, finds a group of women, God-fearing women, and what does he do? He sits down next to them and he starts to speak to them. Chapter 16, verse 13. Paul sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. I take it he preached. And his message, right, had a remarkable impact. Changed lives. Um, the authorities, because of the impact he's having, they get a bit concerned. Um, you might recall what happened last week. They get concerned. They don't like it very much. They bail him up and they throw him into prison. And not just like, you know, Yatler down the road with a television. No, they throw him into the, like the dungeon where it's dark and they shackle him. The jailer, right, in this particular prison, he's terrified. What does Paul do? Preaches to him. And miraculously, the jailer is converted. And then he's forced to flee because, you know, there's all this kerfuffle and stirring up. So then he arrives in Thessalonica, where we are tonight. And what does he do in Thessalonica? Chapter 17, verse 2. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He preached. That's what the apostles and the other believers did. This is the mission strategy, preaching a message to the ends of the earth. Now, that was the method, preaching. I reckon it's hard to think these days in our culture of a more countercultural thing to do than preaching. The very word, you know, even like Jack doesn't like it very much. The, you know, the word, the word preach, right, is negative, Yeah. It's got a negative connotation. Anyone said to you, don't preach at me? Anyone said that to you? I was in the little city office, you know, where we have our church office the other day, and I was listening to a couple of guys having a chat with them about Jesus and church and stuff like that. And one of the guys said, oh, you know, I went to church, you know, like last year, you know. And, and he goes, and you know what? The guy up the front, that priest guy, he was preaching at me, and he was telling me to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus. What a punk. And I'm like, that's kind of what I do. You know, people don't like it. It's, it's an unpopular thing to do, preaching. If you're an aspiring preacher out there, male or female, beware. Um, it's an unpopular thing to do. Because to preach right implies that I have something to say that you really need to know. 
And in our postmodern, individualistic, relativistic world, that is taken as a very arrogant thing to do. To suggest that I have a message, I have something to say that you really need to know, that perhaps you don't know and you know, I'm right, you're wrong. So in our modern world, the sermon is becoming increasingly marginalised. And I wonder if even in our churches the sermon is becoming increasingly marginalised as we kind of imbibe the culture around us. Several years ago when I was living in Sydney, um, the atheist church movement sort of started up. Anyone heard of the atheist church movement? Yeah, the atheist church. So a bunch of people who don't love Jesus, don't think God even exists, kind of looked at the church and went, I like community and I kind of like what the church community's like. Maybe we can do a bit of that but kind of not have God involved. You know, have the community but no Jesus, no that, you know. But they don't have a message, right? They don't have a message. So what do you do for your message? What, what do you do for your sermon? I mean, churches, they ideally have sermons. What do you do if you don't have a message? One atheist church leader in Sydney said uh, she called their sermons perspectives. Perspectives. Um, she acknowledged that, you know, her when she would stand up to say something, it was merely her perspective or take on a particular thing, but everyone else could have their own opinion about that particular issue and things like that. So sometimes she said, you know, sometimes I think I was on the money, sometimes I think I got it wrong, sometimes it was good, sometimes it was not that great a perspective. Whatever she was doing, right, is not really worthy of the name preaching. Preaching has conviction. Preaching has truth. Uh, Conviction and truth, two things that our world doesn't really value these days. And it's not just atheist churches. That, that, by the way, that sort of atheist church movement, I think, is going to dwindled um, actually now in Sydney. It doesn't really even exist. Um, and it's actually a worldwide movement that's kind of on the, on the slide. But um, it's not just atheist churches that kind of have messages that are just perspectives. Many so-called Christian churches now kind of do a very similar things where sermons that are given really aren't worthy of the name preaching because there's no conviction and primarily there's no truth. And if there's no truth that's conveyed in a church, then, well, that church really has nothing to say to the world. And actually, the world likes it that way because it's, it's arrogant, isn't it, to suggest that I have truth that you need to know. People don't like to listen to someone who says, I have truth. And sadly, right, there are some Christians and some even kind of denominations that have kind of like changed their mission strategy. They've kind of pushed aside the preaching of truth And they now venture out into the world with simply good deeds. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Loving deeds, good actions, um, involvement in the community that undergirds the message that is being proclaimed is absolutely essential. Um, You know, we need to live out the message that we're proclaiming. Otherwise, people are going to really not want to listen to us. But the power, isn't it, is in the message. The power is in the good news. And wherever Paul went, he preached. He reasoned, verse 2, from the scriptures. Or verse 13, later on in chapter 17, when he gets to Berea, what's he doing? Preaching the word of God. And there's the key, right? Preaching the word of God. You'll never preach, you know, you'll never say to someone, right, brothers and sisters, you know, here is a message that I really want you to hear unless you believe it's true. Paul was convinced that what he was saying, what he was proclaiming, was the very word of God. So I wonder, do you believe the Christian message? Do you believe the gospel? It's God's message to a sinful, broken, hurting world. Do you believe it? If you think it's just one perspective on life, if you think that Jesus is just one kind of teacher among many other teachers, and if you think the Bible is just kind of one book or holy book among a whole bunch of books or holy books, then we'll probably end up being, well, you might end up being someone who just says, well, here is the Christian perspective, or or, this is what the Bible's perspective is. But if you believe that God has spoken, that changes everything. Paul 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes, It is written, I believe and therefore I have spoken. Quotes there from one of the Psalms, I believed, therefore I have spoken. 
And then he goes on to comment, since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. When I first became a Christian, this was one verse that kind of just kind of permeated through my whole being when I came to know Jesus for the first time. You know, I believe, therefore I have spoken. I came to know Jesus. I believe that the Bible was the very word of God. And I believed it. And then my mouth started to speak it. I felt like sometimes I was even out of control, like God was just kind of using me to proclaim the good news to anything that moved around me, be it on a bus or in my home or cricket side, whatever it was. I started speaking about Jesus to others because I believed and therefore I was speaking. I really want others to meet Jesus. If God opens your eyes to see Jesus, there's a big chance he's going to open your mouth to speak about Jesus as well. That's the mission strategy, preaching. I don't know if you noticed as well as we went through that first bit of chapter 17, there's a whole bunch of words that are kind of connected to the activity of preaching there that Paul uses. Um, So you'll note there in verse 2, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbaths or Saturdays, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. The word Paul uses there, or sort of Luke uses there, is the root of our English word dialogue. Uh, which means, you know, when you have a dialogue, it's a discussion, right? It's a to and fro. It's questions and answers and back and forth. That's how Paul did it. He reasoned, dialogued. He didn't sort of just ram stuff down people's throat and say, don't ask me any questions, just believe this and then be on your way. He wanted the to and fro, he wanted the question answer. John Stott says, Paul believed in doctrine, but not in indoctrination. Didn't just ram it down people's throats. He listened. I mean, probably Paul did give some kind of monologue and things like that, but he always monologued thinking about what are people going to say in response to this and how am I going to engage and reason with them? Um, the kind of preaching here doesn't mean we all stand up and give monologues at coffee shops and in the workplace, but it does mean that we all have a message to proclaim. We can reason with people. And by the way, if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, you're exploring who Jesus is and you have questions, then please ask your questions. We welcome questions here at City Light Church, North Adelaide. Um, We've got these little connect cards up the back. Some pens are up there as well, so you can actually fill them in. No one carries pens anymore, but you can fill one of these. And if you have a question about anything to do with what I'm saying or you're here tonight, please ask your question. Don't, Don't hold back. There's no silly questions. We welcome questions. We want to dialogue. We want to reason with you. But if you are a Christian here tonight, I want to encourage you to be ready to answer people's questions. Um, I resolved quite a long time ago not to know all the answers to every question that was, could ever be asked about Jesus, but I resolved to not be stumped twice when someone asked me a challenging question. You know, I've asked a tricky question about Jesus before Christianity, and you go, oh my gosh, as if anyone would ever ask me that. I never anticipated that question ever in my life. And you feel so inadequate. You ever feel that? I just feel like you just want to hide under a rock. Did I say I was Christian? No, 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 no. Ask this person. He's like, you know, ever had that? I resolve never to be stumped twice by a question. So if someone does ask you a question and you go, great question. That's really good. Um, look, can I get back to you? Then keep your promise. Go and do some research. Get back to that person and try and remember it so that next time someone asks it, you're ready to go. Let me encourage you to do that. So he reasoned. So he reasoned. Then verse 3 continues. Paul reasoned and then he was explaining and proving. Explaining, right? That literally means to open up. Explain, to open. He opened the Bible in, in the sense of explaining its meaning. And the Bible for most people in our world, for most people at your university, your workplace, at your home, is a closed book. Never to be opened but to sit on the bookshelf gathering dust for 70 years. For most people, that's the truth, right? Most people, it's a closed book. Most people have very little understanding of what the Bible says. Dorothy Sayers, a great author, said this, It is startling to discover how many people heartily dislike Christianity without having the faintest idea what it is. It's interesting. Let's write it off. At City Light Church, North Adelaide, we we seek to open the scriptures, like literally have them open in front of us, like Sam here, you know, in front of us. Every activity that we do has the Bible at the centre of it. 
You know, so at our elders' meetings, we start every elders' meeting with the Bible open. We read from the scriptures. In our gatherings, we gather around. The central thing we do is gather around the Word of God. Prayer meetings, infused with the Word of God. DGs, gathered around the Bible, open. If you're a Christian here tonight, sorry, if you're a Christian here, and if you're not a Christian here tonight, let me encourage you. As you explore who Jesus is, as you explore what the Christian faith is, have the Bible open. You know, encourage the person who's brought you here tonight. Can you open the Bible with me? Do that. That's where it's going to happen. Ask them to explain it. And there are plenty of people here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, who want to sit down with you and help you know what the Bible says. It will help explain it for you. I can do that. So Paul reasoned, dialogue, questions, answers. He explained, he opened up the Bible, helped people understand what the word of God is, and he proved. In other words, he argued his case from the scriptures. Reasoned, explained, and proved. And this, brothers and sisters, is the task of Christian witness. This is the method. It's preaching not necessarily you, know, you standing up in front of 40, 50, 5,000 people proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Praise God if that's what you end up doing, wherever you end up. But it might be just one-to-one. It might be with a small group of people just gathered around. We've all got a part to play. Jesus sent out his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I wonder, where, is, where has God sent you? Where has he sent you? Maybe he sent you into your family. Maybe it's no coincidence that you're the only follower of Jesus in your kind of family and extended family. And that's where God's placed you to be his witness. Maybe it's your group of friends at university. Maybe it's the people in your office. Maybe it's your street. You are his witnesses. And perhaps we ought to be praying, right? Lord, give me an opportunity to speak your word. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, by the way. Ask that prayer, he's very likely to answer it because he's into it. But do, that's a, oh, what a privilege. You know, witnesses in our families, witnesses in our workplace, witnesses on the street. What about being witnesses to the ends of the earth? There are great needs here in North Adelaide, Adelaide, Australia. But there are great needs all over the world. What's the strategy? Preach. How can they hear unless someone preaches? Romans chapter 10. How can they preach unless someone goes? It could be you. That's the method. I've once said, right, in the churches that I've pastored, in fact, I've said in every church that I've pastored, I want to see this, like my church empty, like in 10 years, because everyone's gone, you know, to various parts of the world. Not really, because I love you. I don't want you all to go. But, you know, wouldn't it be great just to send people, I don't know, to the ends of the earth, preaching? We've got a job to do here, preaching. That's the method, right? Secondly, though, the message. What is the message? Well, if, the, if it was simple, if the method was simple, preaching, the message is simple as well. It is Christ. That's the message, Christ. Acts chapter 17, verse 2. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. There's the message. Very simple. The message is Christ. Again, if you're here tonight and you haven't quite got what Christianity is about and you're kind of wondering, I feel like it's a bit confusing, this whole Christian thing. You've probably been talking to the wrong person. It's really simple. It's just all about Jesus. It's all about Christ. So the key question is, what do you make of Jesus? What do you make of Jesus? Because everything hinges around the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection all hinges around him. I heard Tim Keller, many of us know Tim Keller, I heard Tim Keller preaching at a conference in Sydney many years ago um, and he was talking about evangelism, sharing the good news of, of Jesus with people. Um, and, you know, imagine this, right? You're just sitting in downtown New York and you're having a conversation over a Starbucks with Tim, like Tim Keller. I mean, the, the coffee's going to be rubbish, right? But the conversation will be pretty great. Um, 
But, you know, he would, he would talk about when he'd sit down with a, you know, a New Yorker, you know, and he'd sit down and, and he'd be chatting about Jesus. And then halfway through, this person would say, whoa, 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 Tim, like, I get what you're saying about this, but I could never live up to Jesus' sexual ethic. His call for, you know, no sex before marriage or, you know, the way the Bible talks about, I could never live up to that. And Tim would say, whoa, 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 I'm not even talking about that. Like, don't worry about that. And this person would say, but no, 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 you're not hearing me. I could never live up to Jesus' sexual ethic. And Tim Keller would say to them, do you know what What really matters? Don't worry about the sex stuff. Like, what you need to worry about is Jesus. Like, if Jesus died and rose again, then everything changes. If he didn't, if you don't believe that, then why are you, he would say, why are you vexing yourself? Why are you so caught up on it? Jesus is the key, right? He makes sense of the Christian life. Without Jesus, without the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't live the Christian life. It's all about Jesus' death and resurrection. So Paul in Thessalonica, in Berea, is explaining and proving that the Messiah, Jesus, had to suffer and rise from the dead. He had to suffer, firstly. It was a necessity. And Paul shows them this from the Bible, from the Old Testament, that Christ had to suffer. Now, we don't get the specifics here as to where Paul went to talk about how the Messiah must suffer. So the question is, which passage did he go to? And so what I want you to do for the next 38 seconds is talk to the person next to you or around you and think, put yourself in Paul's shoes. What passage do you think Paul went to in the Old Testament to point to the fact, to prove that the Messiah had to suffer? Okay, can you do that? 38.7 seconds, I'll give you. Um, Talk about the people around you. What passage did he go to to prove that the Messiah had to suffer? From the Old Testament. Go. That's like the moment where you call it, right? Because it's just like, hush. The pages stop flicking and the conversation dies down. Anyone want to yell out? Any ideas? Like, where would Paul, do you reckon where? We don't really know, Paul. We don't get the, you know, the, the details here. Where would he go? Where would you go? If you were to sort of point people to the reality that Jesus had to suffer. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Suffering servant. Good. Nice. Anywhere else? That's a, that's a pop. I'm pretty sure. Anyone else go for that one? Isaiah 53. Yes. Yes. Psalm 22. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Is that where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, good. Phew. Zechariah? Yeah? What are you thinking there? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Good one. Yeah. Last take is four, three, two. Exodus. Hello, Australia. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah, Exodus. Passover kind of stuff. Yeah, good one. Absolutely. Really, that's awesome. Really encouraging. I am... In one sense, right, Paul could have gone to the whole of the Old Testament, right, I reckon, from like Genesis through to Malachi, the first Italian prophet. No, like right through. He could have gone to there because the whole of the Old Testament, right, demands the cross. From Genesis through to you know, Malachi demands the cross because as you read the Old Testament, you can't help, I reckon, but become more and more and more convicted of your sin. You know, through the prophets, you find that there is a living God, and we've lived in God's world and as if he doesn't really exist. We deserve nothing from God except his condemnation. Christ had to suffer. Why? Because there's no other way for us to be saved. Because we deserve the judgment of God. He had to suffer. You know, the wonder of the Old Testament, right, is that it doesn't just speak of a God who is pure and holy and creative and majestic and untouchable and pure and that people are sinful and deserving of his wrath and judgment. It also speaks of the coming Messiah who will take upon himself the judgment and the wrath of God for our sin, for our rebellion. That's what the Old Testament's about. And yet there are, right, so many specific passages which point just so beautifully to the coming Messiah and describe him so beautifully. Zechariah, he'll be pierced for our transgressions. Psalm 22 talks about the coming Messiah who will be forsaken by God so that sinners like you and me can go free. And then, of course, Isaiah 
you know, Bible College of South Australia student down the front here, Isaiah, no, not really, Isaiah 53, we knew that, where the prophet says that a coming one, the suffering servant, will take upon himself the punishment for others. He'll step into where we ought to be in the line and fire of God's judgment and wrath. He'll say, you go away, I'll take it for you. Isaiah 53, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We all turn to our own way, but the Lord has laid on him, the Messiah, the iniquity, the sin of us all. He had to die because we're under the judgment of God. God just can't simply stop being angry at human rebellion and sin because justice demands that it be punished. But the Lord Jesus takes upon himself the punishment that we deserve. The Old Testament scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, Zechariah, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, the exodus that the Christ had to suffer and that he had to rise from the dead. And I wonder what passages he referred to there. I mean, we may not have to guess completely, right? So back in Acts chapter 2, Peter delivers the first sermon ever preached on planet Earth following the death and resurrection of Jesus, and he quotes Psalm 16, verse 10. By this stage, we all ought to know what Psalm 16, verse 10 is, off by heart. I'm not going to put you on the spot. It says this, David's writing, and this verse kind of shaped and formed the hope of Israel. They were longing for this one to come. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. Although the Messiah dies taking on himself the penalty that we deserve, he can't stay dead. Now God the Father raised him from the dead and the resurrection declared to the world that Jesus is God's anointed king. When a king was anointed, he was drenched in oil and he was given all of God's authority. And here is Jesus, that king given God's authority, anointed. Chapter 17, verse 3, proving, Paul proved that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you, he is the Messiah, the promised one. He's the king, come to save the world. The resurrection, right, says that Jesus really can save. If Jesus has remained dead, right, rotting in a grave, he can't deliver. But he didn't say dead. He's alive and well today, gathering people to himself from every corner of the world. He really can save. He really will judge, right? Because the one who died and rose again is Lord of all, King of kings, Lord of lords, and one day he will return. So tonight, if you're here tonight and you haven't yet turned from your sin and trusted in the Lord Jesus and are now living for him, can I encourage you to do it? Because he might come back tonight and we'll miss out on a long weekend, but then we're going to have a long life together with him and it's going to be glorious. Trust him tonight. I think this is the message that Paul preached It's the message of Christ, the message that our city desperately needs to hear. Now, I reckon reckon our culture is in a bit of a crisis, right? You know, I'm no expert, but I, I read stuff and there's an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. I reckon we're all experiencing to lesser and greater degrees like a crisis of identity. Even Facebook and Instagram have picked up on our crisis of identity. Have you noticed that lately? They've dropped the likes. You know, so that now rather than getting your affirmation from how many people like you, maybe, maybe we might find affirmation somewhere else. I'd love to see that being Jesus. They've even realised, right, we are, we've become dependent on what other people think about us and creating our own identity online. Heaps of people in our world just don't know who they are. Heaps of people kind of lack meaning and purpose. So many people are living and escaping into, I don't know, entertainment or the real estate market or drugs or alcohol, hiding what I think is kind of a a bit of despair on this thin layer of entertainment, drugs and alcohol. How are we going to respond to that as God's people? There is a temptation, right, to say, well, we've got to preach morality. We've got to preach Christian values. No. We've got to preach Christ. Now, people who struggle with identity, they need to know that in Jesus they are accepted as they are. People who are lonely need to know that they are known 
and loved by God. People without a moral compass need to know Christ, the true human being who defines right and wrong. And people without hope desperately need Christ because Christ can change everything. And so, you know, with our events here at City Light Church, North Adelaide coming up, you know, the Spring Fair, October 26th, uh, with um, our Christmas appeal we're going to do on November the 30th, where we're going to ask people to come from the community and drop off um, non-perishable food items so we can distribute those to disenfranchised and homeless people across the state. Uh, when we do our, our Christmas carols, which we're hoping to do out sort of somewhere in the community, not inside the building, pray for that, that a proper good space comes up, but you know, on the 21st of December... And at our Christmas gatherings, you know, when we, when we gather on Christmas Eve, hopefully, and on Christmas Day together, and as we go through this new sermon series coming up called Common Sense for the Silly Season, all of these things we're doing, right? We're doing them because we want to connect with people in our community, but we want them to meet Christ. And so the message we take into all these things is Jesus. The method, preaching, the message, Christ. Thirdly, the response. What was the responses back in the first century? What happened back in Thessalonica and Berea in the first century, we can probably expect to happen today in the 21st century Adelaide. It was a mixed response, really mixed. You know, it was mixed when Jesus preached, right? Some people loved him, heaps of people hated him. It was mixed when the apostles preached. Some people loved what Paul and Peter and Co were saying and they accepted Christ. Other people ran him out of town with stones in their hands. So it will be today as we faithfully hold out the good news of Jesus. Acts chapter 17, verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Wow, a significant response. You know, a church was founded in Thessalonica. You know, tonight before you go to bed, flick up 1 Thessalonians. That's a letter written to the church that was preached and built upon here, right? It's amazing. It's the same when Paul moved on to Berea, chapter 17, verse 11. Now the Berean Jews are of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see what Paul said was true. As a result, many of the... Oh, I love that. Well, before I go on, you see that? Like he preached, they received the message with eagerness, and they examined, they studied it. They, they switched on their brains, right? They were thinking, what does this mean? Who is this Jesus? Like, you know, and they're pulling the pieces of the puzzle together. Verse 12, as a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. Wow. Love for Jesus. Brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the things I fear a little bit, and I feel this personally, I feel sometimes that I often think, you know, God is doing great things, significant things in other parts of the world, not here in North Adelaide and Adelaide in Australia. You know, that God shifted his operation of forgiving and saving people to Africa and Asia and to China. That's where all the action is. And really, Australians and Adelaideans and the church here, we're just heading down, we're declining, slow death, and nothing's going to change until Jesus comes back. Does anyone feel that? All the actions elsewhere, we're just kind of hanging in, waiting for him to come back, and then we'll get the party started. Why should that be? The fact that God can do remarkable things in Africa, in Asia, in China, should tell us that he can do remarkable things here in North Adelaide, Adelaide and beyond. Yeah, even Adelaide. It would be unthinkable 200 years ago, 100 years ago, to think about how God is moving and changing lives in Africa. It would be unthinkable to think about how God, to imagine how God is at work in Nepal. Hundreds and thousands of men and women are becoming Christians in Nepal. There were just a handful of believers there many years ago. And in China, so many people are coming to faith in China. It is remarkable. I've been spruiking this book. A few people have purchased this book. I make no money from spruiking this book, by the way. But uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, if you're here tonight and, and you're still exploring who Jesus is, uh, can I encourage you to grab hold of this book? Uh, Rebecca beautifully, winsomely, intellectually, readably engages with 12 key kind of questions that are asked kind of in terms of 
don't know about Christianity because of this, you know, and uh, she answers them really well. I can strongly encourage you, if you want a copy of this book and you're genuinely exploring Jesus, I'll even buy you one. It's like, it's, it's beautiful. But she talks here. She's answering one of the questions she answers is, doesn't Christianity crush diversity? And she just beautifully just kind of crushes that and says, no, it's, it's all about diversity, embraces it. And she speaks here about like the climate of the gospel in China. And let me just read you a a little bit. Um, She writes here, It's hard to get accurate data on the number of Christians in China. Due to government persecution, many worship in unofficial house churches. But as noted in her introduction, conservative estimates in 2010 put China's Christian population at over 68 million. And the number of Chinese Protestants has grown by an average of 10% annually since 1979. Experts predict, get this, that there will be more Christians in China than in the United States by 2030, and that China could be a majority Christian country by 2050. Unbelievable. But believable, right, because God can do anything. I don't know what that's going to mean for the world, right, if China turns from communism to Christianity, but like, wow, incredible. So many have come to know Jesus, his love, his forgiveness, his hope. In Africa, in Nepal, in Asia, in China. What happened 2,000 years ago in Europe can happen again. What happened in Australia some hundreds of years ago can happen again. Why should it not continue here in North Adelaide? Why can't it happen? You know, when we pray, when you pray, do you pray expectantly? You know, at some point in history, right, someone prayed for you, that you would come to know Jesus and have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I don't know, maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. Perhaps it was a friend. I got saved in 2001, um, and I was at University at Adelaide, just, you know, University of Adelaide just down the road studying science. I, was in, I, was, um, I got saved in my honours year. In my third year, I was in a small group of, of people. We were doing one of those awful team projects, you know, where you have to rely on other people to help you get a mark. Terrible, like, you know. And, uh, but um, one of the... One, there was a woman named Laura. Laura was in my group. I love Laura. Um, I, I got to know Laura a bit. We were doing this crazy project. I'll tell you about that later if you want. Um, we were doing this project, and she was lovely. She was beautiful. I wasn't very lovely back then. I probably still aren't, but, you know... Um, Anyway, she got to know me, we got to know each other, and uh, I kind of lost touch with her after that third year and as I went into honours, but I, I got saved, uh, I came to know Jesus uh, about sort of nine months later. Um, I was out with a group of Christian people, um, I'd never been out with Christian people before, it was kind of a new experience, but we were down on Rundle Street um, at one of the cafes down there and we got a, about ten of us, we sat down and... Um, Halfway through my bowl of pasta, Laura walked in with a group of her friends who all happened to be Christians as well. I didn't really know she was a Christian. And um, she came over to me. Oh, man, she came over to me and she just said, Simon, it's, been, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you. What's been happening? And I just blurted out, right? I said, Laura, I became a Christian. I know Jesus. And she started to cry. Like, like un- she, didn't, she couldn't speak. She was crying and crying and crying. And you know what she said to me? When she pulled herself together, she said, Simon, I've been praying and my whole Bible study group have been praying for you ever since I met you that you'd come to know Jesus. It was extraordinary. Um, Are you praying expectantly? The people you know and love will come to know Jesus, even in Adelaide. Many accepted. May it happen again in this land. But others rejected. Verse 5, other Jews were jealous. They rounded up a bunch of bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Verse 13, 14, 15, we get the same thing. They preach the gospel. People don't like them very much. They run them out of town. Paul ends up in Athens. More about that in the next week. As we preach Christ, we're going to experience opposition. We're going to get hostility. We're going to be hated most of that times. It will always be like this. It was always like that back in the first century. Nothing's changed because the gospel hasn't changed. As Paul preached, he was hated by some. Expect it, brothers and sisters. But know that as you are hated by 
Others, God has got you in the palm of his hand and his love for you never ends. So brothers and sisters, keep preaching Christ. Let's keep preaching Christ. We must go out expecting that God can work miracles in the power of his Holy Spirit in the lives of men and women and kids as he's done through history. And yes, yes, even here in North Adelaide, even in Australia. Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you so much for your great love for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we just take a moment, perhaps in the quietness of our own hearts, just to thank you for the, the people that perhaps we know, even the ones we don't know, who prayed for us, that we would one day come to, to meet Jesus and, and love him and trust him. Lord, we thank you for, perhaps it was the parents, our parents who shared Jesus with us, for the friends who shared Jesus with us. We thank you for our grandparents, perhaps, who shared Christ with us. Father, we thank you that you are a good God who answers our prayers. And so, Father, we pray that you would answer our prayers tonight, that you would help us in the power of your Holy Spirit to continue to be a church who preaches Christ, uh, expecting a variety of responses. Uh, and Father, whatever those responses might be, we pray that some, as we preach Christ at, our, at the Spring Fair, at our carol service, at our Christmas services, in our regular Sunday gatherings, that, Father, you would save some. But, Father, we pray as well that as we go out with the message of Christ, um, expecting hostility to varying degrees, that we would not shrink back You'd help us to not be ashamed of the gospel because we know that it is the power to save sinners like us and anyone who would come willingly to bow the knee before Jesus. So, Father, use us, we pray. Uh, yeah, We pray for Europe. We pray for the missionaries serving you there. We pray that they would continue to faithfully proclaim Christ even as it's slow and hard work. Give them encouragement. Spur them on, Father. And Father, we pray for Adelaide, Australia. We pray, Father, for revival, whether it's in our church, whether it's in the church in the next suburb. We just want to see people come to know Jesus. So Father, please be at work, we pray. And we ask this confident and in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.